I'm Chris Peters, and welcome to the Consulting Psychic Podcast. This is a podcast designed for marketeers who seek a future in consulting, either as a main gig or as a side gig. I speak to marketeers who made a jump as a consultant full-time and to those that treat it as a side hustle. We'll dig into their stories about how they got their first clients, their inspiration, managing their time whilst they're still employed, and how they prepare to go alone. Now let's go. Jay, welcome to Consultant Psychic Podcast. Thanks for having me, Chris. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, excited to get you on. Uh, we came across each other on LinkedIn and your profile looks super interesting. So if you could perhaps tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so my name is Jay. My current full-time job is at Captivate Talent, where I'm the head of marketing over there. I'm also the only marketer over there. We have some consultants we work with, but in terms of full-time employees, it's just me. And we help other SaaS companies, usually early to growth stage, like C to Series B, help hire for sales, marketing, and customer success. So I run the marketing over there. That's my full-time job. And then outside of that, I consult for some software companies. And I also have my own product called Summarize, which basically turns podcasts into insights through AI. So it takes like recordings, anything from audio, video, and basically gives you all the timestamps, the summaries, the quotes, all of that good stuff, notes on it, uh, and, and all of that awesome stuff. So that's kind of what's been keeping me busy, the full-time job, some consulting and, and this product, but really excited to be here, excited to kind of chat, Chris. Yeah, look, me too. Um, and we'll definitely talk about your product uh, once once we hit pause. So, so understanding your full-time role, your consulting gigs, and trying to build a product, like, where's, the, where's the focus for you? You know, you have to earn your, your rent, you have to earn your keep, so you have a full-time role, but you have these extracurricular activities. So, so how are you prioritizing these things? Like, is there a priority? How are you working this out? Yeah, so the way that I really prioritize my work is I try and split it into more project-based, I guess, is the way that I kind of think about it. And so to that degree, it's what do I want to get done this week? And so I typically approach it on a week-by-week basis and figure out what are the priorities for each different thing that I'm working on. You know, if it's at my full-time job, what... XYZ, what do I need to complete this week? What's on my list to do? What do I need to work on? Same thing for the consulting stuff. Same thing for my product. You know, there's usually a few different things every week for each project that I want to work on. And it's really just also coming back to one of the things that's really important for me, which I've kind of learned over the, the last few years is you don't necessarily need to fill every single hour to be effective and productive. It's really what are the most important things you can work on that drive the most amount of impact. So really kind of focusing and honing in on that time ROI, I'd say is is something I'm really big on. So it's me thinking about, you know, what are the few projects that I can work on for this role that are going to drive the most impact? And I can spend, you know, it's not spending the least amount of time, but it's how do I maximize the time that I'm spending? And so it doesn't even necessarily need to be like, hey, I need to do a project end to end, like I'm starting at zero, 
and I'm completing this all the way to one, it's okay, maybe sometimes it's making incremental progress on this one thing. So that's kind of how I approach my time is really thinking about like, you know, maybe about what are one to three projects for each thing that I need to work on, and then kind of aligning my schedule around that, you know, some things are going to be a little bit more time sensitive, some things are not. And so I can kind of figure out where do I need to spend my time, focus on some of those time sensitive things when they're needed, and then kind of color in the details as it goes. I, I work pretty long days, but it's a lot of fun. And that's great. And that makes things a lot easier. Uh, when it's fun, was talking offline about actually this is a hobby hobby to you. Uh, marketing's a hobby. So all of these things that naturally complement that make it when you are doing seven till seven, seven till 10, I guess a lot easier. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I think for me, that's the big thing that I think about is, you know, how do I, it, it's not necessarily, like I said, about the, num- the, the amount of activity that you can do, because you can be very effective working on one to three things every single week for, for something, you know, for me, I guess, even like looking, so like last week, uh, would be a, a really good example. You know, we published for my full-time job. We did a really awesome, high-quality piece of like blog content that's kind of like a hero piece of content. And we put together a case study and then I made some other quick optimizations. Like it doesn't sound like a lot on that to-do list, but those are some really high-impact activities that we're doing that helps to kind of achieve whatever the goals are for that thing that I'm working on. So, you know, for my full-time job, I mean, for everything, it's kind of like revenue is the, the focus there, but just figuring out, you know, what are those few activities? And then also giving myself the space to say, hey, once I complete those, it's not necessarily, if I have an extra, you know, three or four hours left, it's not, how do I fill that time and keep kind of working on things? Because my thing is also, I want to be very deep when I go into work on some of those things. So I try and focus in a lot of deep work. When I create those blocks for working on that stuff, it's, hey, there's no distractions around it. I want to focus on getting that task done so I can get it done in the quickest amount of time, still be effective, still be efficient. And then, you know, when I have that kind of downtime or slower time, it's time for me to recover essentially and and really get back that energy so that way when it is time to work on those projects i have as much energy as i can great so so a lot of our listeners and lots of people part of the community will be in full-time roles often traditional nine to five roles so looking at your your split of time is your main gig right now a nine to five in the traditional sense or do you get a little bit more autonomy, flexibility there that's enabling all of these extracurricular things? Yeah, I would say it. it's kind of like that traditional nine to five, but I have that autonomy that's there. And that autonomy is more so, I think it's driven by two reasons. One, me personally, I like to have flexible work. I'm very much advocating for that during whenever I have my one on ones or other important meetings and things like that, I very much advocate for owning my own time. And two, I think it also comes down to the relationship that you have with who you're working with, you know, it's the same thing. One of the things that we hear a lot as marketers is, you know, life's too short to not work with a CEO or uh, a founder or a leader that doesn't understand marketing. 
And I think it's the same way in terms of time, you know, life's too short to work with people that don't understand the fact that we are human, the fact that we have other interests outside of what we're working on, and having that flexibility and autonomy to say, hey, you know what, I, Jay does a lot of good work for me. I appreciate what he's doing. And I know he's going to get his stuff done. And, you know, if that doesn't matter, that means, you know, based on whatever that task list is to do and accomplish for that week, it doesn't matter if Jay gets it done in, in two hours or 10 hours. It's really like, is he able to provide impact? Is he helping to move, you know, in the full-time job? Is he helping to move that revenue number forward? I think that's the way that that most people have to look at it and really have that open conversation that, hey, you know, we're all we're all human. We have other stuff going on. It doesn't even have to be outside work. It could be I, I don't have kids, but it could be having kids and having to spend time with your kids or, you know, you you're very focused on overall well-being and you want to go to go work out or go to a fitness class or something like that at some point or, hey, you know, I, I'm moving places and my movers are coming in or, hey, I need to go get a haircut or something like that. I think it's really important to, first of all, be comfortable with yourself to say, like, I need to advocate for this myself. And then two, also making sure you're you're working with the right people. And those right people are the ones that understand that, you know, you're a real person. You're not a robot that just comes in and checks in at nine and leaves at five. Absolutely. So, so let's <laughs> let's drill into this. So when you are seeking a new role or when you're looking to engage a potential new employer, is this one of the requirements that you set out in that initial engagement? And if so, how do you go about framing these extracurricular things that you're, you're working on? Is this something that you do on the first interview? Is it the second or third once you've, you've got to ascertain if this is a company that you want to work for like how do you go about framing the narrative that you work on other stuff so I used to actually be really bad at this when I first started my career and it was mostly because I had this idea in my head that you know your your job is where your focus should lie like that's like they're your employer like they kind of like it's maybe a little messed up but like they kind of own a segment of your time right so that's how I used to think about it. Now I'm a lot more open in my conversations. I think one thing that's really important for a lot of people, and I've come to, to understand and learn this, and I always try and advocate for this now, is when you go into an interview, it's not just that potential employer interviewing you for, for your skills or, or your, your fit with that company. You need to also be interviewing them. Like, is this something that fits into my life? Like, those are questions that you need to ask. Like, how do you work? How do you operate? And I think you should do it early or in the interview. You don't want to be at that later stage and have that conversation. And it, it comes out to be like, you end up having a little bit of this cognitive dissonance, essentially, where it if you don't do it early enough, where it's like, maybe I like the work that I might be doing over here but they're not going to afford me the flexibility that I need over here. So it's better to kind of screen for that culture fit earlier on, I think, and say, Hey, you know, I'm really interested in this role. And then when it comes to have that conversation, you're having that open conversation. I love working on X, Y, Z. I do these things um, outside of my time. And, 
a good employer should also be screening for culture fit as well. Earlier on, they should be asking you not only, you know, what are the skills that you have? What are the things that you've accomplished? But what are you also doing outside of that? Because I think really for any good business, you need a little bit of both. You need that skill set fit. And you also need someone that's going to, that you can work with, that you can get along with, that's going to push you into growing into a, a better person yourself. So I, uh, to, to kind of answer your question, I guess to sum it up is, talk about it early, have those open conversations because it's not just you that's getting interviewed. You should also be interviewing the other company. Absolutely. And and that's a consistent thread that I've had on this, this podcast with people saying the exact same thing. So, so shifting gears a little bit now. So how long have you been consulting on the side now? So I've been doing consulting work for probably about two years now. And in between that, I also have had a couple of a a few different products that I've worked on myself. Um, So I guess kind of like consulting for myself to an extent for some of that stuff. Yeah. Okay. And, and, And thinking about consulting specifically for other people right now, how's the product and what you offer evolved? So what was it that you initially attracted you to consulting and what was your offering what does it look like now how is that how has that value prop evolved so for me consulting was an awesome way to generate additional income for myself that's kind of why I did it uh, I think that's why a lot of people end up doing it even though obviously you have that interest in that that space and that's why you want to maybe learn a little bit more and stuff like that but you know, there's a reason we send out invoices when we're consultants, <laughs> because obviously, you know, we want to generate some extra income. So when I started doing it at the beginning, it was a little bit more of, hey, I, I'm really looking to generate income. What can I do to kind of kick this off? Like, I'm looking for any, every and any kind of project, at least at the beginning. You know, it's the same thing as like, if you're like running a SaaS company at the beginning, you're looking for that product market fit, right? You're, you're willing to take on anything. You're willing to take on the weird requests and stuff like that, just because you want to figure out what that right offer is in the market. Right. And so the more time that I spend as being a consultant, I've actually ended up narrowing that a lot more. So there are things that, you know, I know if I do this, it's going to potentially, my time is more at risk. I might have a lot more, ask for me, I need to set up more guardrails, essentially, on what I am working on and what I'm not working on, which is really, really important for, you know, making that list of what you're not going to do. And uh, so that's been a really big learning for me. And then another big part is I, I really like to systemize it. So, you know, anything that you're working on, once you kind of have a few reps under your belt, it's really important to go ahead and systemize that because otherwise, you're going to find yourself, you're going to get in that trap where, you know, maybe you end up spending too much time working on something. And it's really hard to have that very direct relation to this is the amount of money I'm making out of this. And this is the amount of time I'm spending. And so obviously, like there are consultancy gigs that are like, hourly basis, and maybe you're charging hourly, but you want to try and systemize that as much as possible. Because like for the end, end user, the person that's paying you, they're going to want to see, you know, some sort of consistency over there in terms of, you know, what am I receiving? And what is the 
what is the amount of money I'm paying for this? There has to be some sort of level of consistency there. So those are two, two really big things is, you know, narrowing your focus, figuring out what you like doing, making that list of what you're not going to accept, uh, whether that's work or clients, uh, depending on, and you should be screening those people that you're going to be working with. And the other thing is like, once you kind of get, get that flow going, you've got to set up some repeatable systems, some repeatable motions. So that way you can get this work done effectively and efficiently. And hopefully over time, even, even more efficiently in terms of time. So you're spending either less or the same amount of time every single time working on these activities. Um, so that way you can really own your time. Interesting. So let's dive into systems. So, so can you talk to me about the types of systems that you've incorporated over the last few years and what have you really honed in? Yeah. So for me, anytime I do anything, I'm always trying to think about how can I build a system around this? At the beginning, it's usually kind of like random, I'd say, like me, like trying out a bunch of things, using some of the technology tools, people that I have in my network, or, or I know I have the knowledge for. And then it's figuring out, you know, uh, for me, I'm very technology focused. So I love incorporating the right tech into my system. So for instance, a, a lot of the stuff that I do, I'll, I'll build out a lot of air tables, I'll build out a lot of notion pages, I'll build out, uh, I'll use a, a Zapier or a make Integromat a lot to kind of automate some of these smaller tasks that maybe I'm moving files between or maybe, you know, I need a I need to organize this way so it gets delivered to the client or, or whatever that's the case. And I don't want to have to send this same email every time or, uh, or whatever that is. But I think that's really important. So I use a lot of technology behind what I do. And it's really kind of figuring out what is that manual process that I'm doing right now for some of this and asking myself, hey, is there a way to potentially automate this? Is there a, a way to potentially bring an external, external resource in that's maybe more specialized at this? maybe can deliver a higher quality product than I can and kind of like constantly asking yourself those questions. So I think that's really important for me. Interesting. So can you give us two examples of uh, maybe a, a micro optimization that you've made that might be, okay, once I do X, B happens or anything maybe that's perhaps more significant that's been a real time saver for you? Yeah, so I'll jump into a more recent example, I guess. Uh, one of the consulting projects I was doing and have been doing is kind of like uh, some content delivery. So, you know, we'll take, we'll chop up some long form video and we'll put together some insights around it and then share that out to the client. And so, you know, originally when I started this, uh, it was a lot of kind of like manual work, having to create new documents every time. Uh, having to put them in a place where I where the client can easily access them and stuff like that, you know, not having any sort of naming convention on files and stuff like that. So that's something that I've built out myself as like an internal system. And so that way it helps me I use Airtable for that I use Integromat slash make for that, um, to kind of organize stuff. So that way, you know, instead of me having to send out the file every single time or having to even potentially tell them like, Hey, you should post this on X, Y, and Z channel and stuff like that. I have an automation set up that basically I just drop the file into uh, a Google folder and then it tells the client exactly where to post it, depending on, you know, that naming convention, it kind of takes some of that data from there and splits it out. Uh, and then also puts it, it puts it at the 
with them for like a link to be able to access that later on outside on their own and, and things like that. So some of, those are some of the things, even in terms of like transformations, if I need to potentially split up content or even remind them and push them and on things like that. Um, I have a lot of that other stuff automated or even templates. So, you know, I'll create stuff in Notion a lot, reusable templates, like uh, for certain sort of activities or things like that, that my clients can take and, and use. And that's all like that, that value added experience, right? That's why you're able to charge what you can charge as a consultant, it's because you've spent all that time building up those skills, building up those templates, building up those resources that if that person tried to do it on their own, it would be a lot of time investment. And that's kind of like the advantage that you're selling when you are a consultant. Absolutely. So, so on that point that you just mentioned there, looking at how your pricing has evolved, I assume initially, perhaps when you're starting off, it was an hourly rate or was it based on a project engagement? And how, how has that changed over the last kind of few years? Do you still have you just increased your hourly rate or have you factored in a, a wider um, impact that you're providing or is it project by project? So I've done both, actually, mm. and I still do a little bit of both. But the one, I guess, important thing about pricing that I've gotten a lot better at is making sure I'm charging a really good fair rate for my work. And so I like to use like kind of like a, a 3x multiplier on my stuff is basically what I look at it and for, for consulting. And so what I do for that is, you know, I'll look at, I'll try and convert my own work that I'm doing at like an hour, like for my full-time job at like kind of what an hourly rate is, obviously there's not a true hourly rate, it's salary job, right? Mm. Um, so I'll look at that. And then I'll, I'll provide like a three X, I think that's a good place to start. And then it's kind of like increasing your rate as you continue to go, right? So if you're doing consulting, right, if you're doing these projects, right, and you're building out these systems, you should be able to get a lot faster at delivery, um, just because you have that already built out. And then because of that, you can start potentially charging these higher rates. And, you know, you always want to test it out. You know, mm. I, I think a lot of people, and I was too, when I started with, uh, I was afraid to charge too high. I think that was yeah. something. And I think that's a fear that probably a lot of people have when they first get into consulting. But you have to understand that depending on what that pain is for that other person, some people are willing to pay a lot more to just get rid of that because they don't have the time, they don't have the knowledge and things like that. So that's kind of where I start like my baseline pricing, I guess, when I look at that. And now I've increased, I've just increased my rates over time. I think that's what it is, is, you know, the more experience you have, the more case studies, the more proof that you have, testimonials, all that stuff, just like, you know, any other business, you're able to increase that, that rate and quality product and, and stuff like that. So that's kind of how I look at the pricing situation. Okay, great. And looking at clients now, so looking at that very first, very first client that you got a couple of years ago, like how did that come about? And how do you go about building pipeline for yourself now? Honestly, it's through my network. Uh, so I, I'm very focused on, you know, having interactions with people around how, how can I help you? How can I be a value? And it's not me like trying to just go and 
straight up pitch, like, Hey, I do some consulting or stuff like that, but it's always thinking about, and even on LinkedIn, I'm, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I'm trying to get back on Twitter is how can I position myself as the expert in this space? And so that's me delivering a lot of free value and, and things like that. And then people coming to me and asking for recommendations. And, you know, if there's some sort of fit there, I will do like some, a little bit of a discovery process and be like, Hey, this is maybe something I can help with. I can assist with. So it, it's pretty much all inbound to me. It depends on what, and it depends on how you're approaching it. Right. So if you're planning on being a full-time consultant and not keeping that, you know, nine to five job, I think you're going to have to do a lot more on kind of like sourcing your own pipeline. But if you're really just trying to do uh, a few projects, it's probably just going through your network, right? All those people that you're connected with. If you identify a need, uh, maybe just asking or maybe even showing some of your work and being like, hey, can I get some feedback on this? Like, what do you think of this? Like, if you have something like that, and something, sometimes someone might have not seen anything like that before, maybe they're doing it on their own and it's taking a lot of time. And so that's a really good way to investigate as well. I think the nice thing about marketing is a lot of it is out there publicly facing, right? You can see what kind of, uh, you know, marketing strategy people are putting together, go to market strategy. You could see what kind of content people are putting out there. You could see what type of ads people are putting out there, all of that different stuff. And you can help kind of provide some insight if you've had something that's worked for you that might be working better. That could be a really good way to kind of find and easily qualify people. So yeah, I think it really comes down to what type of consulting business are you trying to run? Is it just something on the side? And maybe that's something you can engage your network with. And if you're doing, if you're trying to do this a little bit more full-time um, or maybe some more hours behind it, it's really, uh, you have to have a little bit more of a systematic process like I said, mine's mostly from my network. I'm, I'm not trying to do this full time. That's just not what I'm interested in right now. But yeah, I think that's what I would say about in terms of approach. So a couple of questions on the back of that. So it's, it sounds perhaps that it's not your, your core focus. So this is uh, consulting is a means for you to get extra bit of income. Would I be right in suggesting that your focus is your full-time role, but also trying to build your own potentially SaaS product. Yeah, that would yeah. be, that. that's kind of my focus right now. You know, I, I like the consulting thing. I think it's really fun. And that's why every time I am really big on systems. So when I do that consulting work, I try and productize it as much as I can offer that productized service where it's really, you know, project-based to the extent of, hey, this is, what I can provide as a service and not trying to like deviate and allow any mm. extra requests to come in. Um, but yeah, and outside of that, it's really focusing on the full-time role and really the new product that I've launched, which is taking a lot of my time right now as, as anything you start that you're trying to grow from zero usually yeah. does. <laughs> yeah. So, so looking at those, like, leveraging your your network because you mentioned that you know you perhaps don't have it systemized like you do your other areas of work that you'll post organically on linkedin and presumably you're, you're commenting on other people's trying to add add value but but is there more to is there more behind how you're thinking about trying to attract inbound opportunities so do you prepare for the week ahead 
for posts that go out on your LinkedIn and, and Twitter now. So do you schedule those? Do you take a day out to, to create content and then schedule them to come out throughout the week? And then do you actively on a daily basis set aside time to go and comment on other other people and you cherry pick these individuals strategically and tactically and are you are you purposely adding in your potential icp so are you going to uh, sales navigator adding specific people because you know later on they could be a future custom customer of yours so for me i'll, I'll break down so there's a lot of parts in that so i'll yep. break down the the uh posting part first and maybe we can kind of go from that in terms of strategy there so i'm trying to get a lot better i i think i have gotten a little bit better this week i think is getting a little away from me in terms of planning content just because i've been in san francisco this week but usually what i'll do is i'll take a lot of my comments that i've done from the week before so i tend to save them as soon as i make comments on other people's posts i will save those i will turn those into longer form posts or tweets to be able to share out so that's the creation process over there. And I will usually try and block out some time. Um, I've gotten it pretty good now, I think, to where when I'm able to do it, it takes me about you know 30 minutes to 45 minutes, uh, maybe an hour max to crank out posts for the week. And then what I will do from there is you know, I'll share that stuff. I've tried scheduling before. I kind of like doing it when I get the chance. I, I really am trying to take more of a systematic approach to that as well this year. So that's something that's on my list to do uh, personally. And then in terms of comment strategy, I think part of it for me is just, you know, in how I've built out and it's not necessarily like there's a, there's a little bit of an effort behind it in terms of who I'm trying to get into my network, because I'm very specific on, you know, who I accept into my network. Uh, I'm very specific on what kind of content I comment and engage on. It's very focused on like marketing kind of stuff. Uh, so because of that, because of my focus and my approach over there, I am able to see in my feed different types of people. There's not necessarily that strategic approach of, hey, let me go connect with this person. Sometimes there is if there is a right opportunity and a right fit. For instance, like, you know, someone that signed up for my product recently I had seen they wrote an article about AI content um, specifically for podcasters and stuff like that. So I did do a little bit of kind of like a manual connect request uh, for that person and go and find them and stuff like that. But I think for me, it's always been quality over the quantity. I've always felt that, you know, when those interactions happen organically a little bit more so, you can have really good returns on that. It's just how do I kind of do more of that process? So, you know, if I need to be more active on LinkedIn or I need to be more active on Twitter versus like actually doing like a sales navigator thing and plugging people in and, you know, thinking about strategic comments. Like if I see someone that makes an interesting comment and I want to connect with them and maybe comment on one of their posts later, I'll go ahead and connect with them. But I'm trying to keep, my interactions as organic as possible because i think that's where you get the most roi anyways it's it's a lot harder to convince someone to go from cold like we haven't talked before to hey i'm interested in your service versus you know if you 
continue to show up, you continue to deliver value, you continue to have those conversations, then eventually maybe you can get to that stage where, you know, you can connect with this person in a different, in a different way. You'll probably have a much more meaningful conversation that way. Like, you know, I think what we're doing right now, like uh, Chris, if you message me like uh, a month from now, two months from now, and we're like, Hey, like, you know, love to chat, like what's going on, like with you and stuff like that. I'm going to be more receptive to that conversation then. Whereas like, you know, if someone, if, if it seemed like someone was commenting or interacting with the purpose of selling intentionally. Absolutely. So it's just so I can break this down and we can perhaps sketch this out for, for people who want to follow this, this path. So with your posting schedule, are you looking to post three times a week, seven times a week? And then, or daily, should I say, and then following that, how, how long did it take you to, to build up enough credibility and time and effort commenting on people, following up with people for you to start getting those inbound opportunities? And then finally, on that question, how many opportunities are presented to you on, a, on an average month? Yeah, so I would say I post five times a week, so I usually all weekdays. I'll try and stay off on the weekend for the most part in terms of how long it took me to build up an inbound kind of pipeline or any of that stuff like that network. I would say for me, it took about, so I've been on LinkedIn longer than I've been on Twitter. So I'll I'll look at it from that perspective. Uh, I would say I got, I also got really lucky in terms of I was getting active on LinkedIn when a lot of people were getting started. So it was kind of like a different place to be at versus how it is now you know the external factors were a little bit different for then when I started doing that I would say it took me about three to four months to really start getting interactions but I think my advice is kind of not as applicable as as it is today in the sense of you know I was working hard I was creating content I was posting um, but a lot of other people were starting to get we're getting started at the same time that I was. So, you know, there was a lot more willingness to have conversations, to talk and stuff like that. Now, you, I think you'd have to try a, a lot harder. It's not impossible, but you definitely have to give more effort than I was giving when I originally got started. But I think it, it's just really like, how can you, how can you kind of systemize some of that stuff as well, right? So, like I said, I started getting opportunities and stuff like that about three to four months in. Might be different if I started now. I'd say it's more of like kind of like a, I look at it like a, even like, even though that's a little bit of vanity metric, uh, I do look at followers and stuff like that as kind of like signals of, hey, is, are things resonating? Are people interested in learning about what I'm talking about and sharing? Um, so I think that can be a really good signal as well. I, I feel like around probably like the, 4,000, 5,000 mark is when I felt like I was getting, starting to get some more inbound opportunities. I get like, you know, a couple per month. I'm also not, like I said, actively seeking out things. I'm not, I'm not even posting, I guess, also with the intention of, hey, how do I get, how do I generate more inbound? Because that's just not something that's really, like that's not a priority for me right now. My priorities are, you know, like I do have that consulting, but it's also working on that product that I have on the side and trying to build that up. So that's what I would say about that piece. 
but it's really just important to build out like a system as well. So when I got started early on LinkedIn, when I first had that journey, it was, hey, I'm going to make sure and connect with 20 to 40 people every single day. I'm going to make sure and comment, you know, 10 times on 10 different posts. I'm going to make sure and, you know, always comment on people that and or like always reply back to every single comment that I get on my content. So I would say more so like building out that system and having that process. And that's the way that you find your success. And it's just like any other thing in marketing, right? You look at it. What are the inputs that I'm putting in? What are the results I'm getting? Am I satisfied with the results? Do I want more results? And it's kind of tweaking your actions to do that, right? So for instance, like if I was doing 20 to 40 connection requests a week, commenting 10 times in the feed, you know, posting my thing, replying to all comments. And I found that, hey, I wasn't getting enough feedback. Like I wasn't getting what I wanted out of this. I would go back and say, okay, maybe what are what are some of the activities that are driving the most amount of impact? If so, can I focus on that a little bit more and maybe pull some of the rest back? And if not, let me try an increased volume approach. Let me increase my volume. Maybe I need a la- larger sample size to see whether or not this is working and then kind of work backwards from there. Absolutely. And I've gone through similar changes myself with trying to adapt like what's resonating, what's not, different processes, dialing up, dialing back. And you need to find that sweet spot, uh, especially when you're working on so many different things. So just one one final question before we let you go, Jay. What What's kind of next? What's the next three months look like for you? The next three months for me is a lot of focus on my, my full-time role um, and then my product. So those are the two things that I'm prioritizing the most that I'm working on. So it's really getting that product going. You know, I just launched like a couple months ago, I literally built the product in a week, the last month before the new year. So it's very, very early. So just scaling revenue over there is, is really my focus and figuring out what works, trying to figure out that story and, and just kind of hacking at it piece by piece. You know, you never get it all in one go. It would be great if like everyone just wakes up and, you know, you work on something and you're able to get the, the result you wanted almost immediately, but that's not the case that it works. So, you know, just, just making incremental progress every single day on the things that I'm working on is, is really what I'm, what I'm going to be doing over the next three months. Great. And what's been the early signs so far, traction wise? For the product or? For the products, for the product. Yeah. So the product's going really, really well. So I mean, I've been onboarding users just individually. Uh, I've taken a very different approach. This is my third product that I've kind of worked on. First one was really awesome. Didn't monetize it as well. So I learned a lot of lessons. I got like a thousand users in less than 30 days on that, right. which is really cool. Didn't monetize it. So I ended up having to kill it. The second project I worked on um, was great. I got some revenue. It was a lot of time investment though. So I ended up killing that as well eventually. And this one's been really awesome. I have, uh, I'm pretty close to profitability already. Uh, just because I've gotten really good at not having as much spend, so on on building my product, so it's it's going really great. Early, we're close to almost a hundred users that are using the product that have started a trial, 
revenue is already uh, is at three figures MRR, which isn't huge, but you know it's a little extra cash mm. in the pocket. I'm still kind of working and tweaking on the offer, right? There wasn't really a long build process, so you know I didn't do I didn't do any sort of additional market research or invest a lot of time. I'm I'm very taking a very different approach than when I first built my first product. This time, you know. There's no marketing website right now. Um, I'm very much of every time I make additional revenue, I reinvest it into working on on something. So, you know, once I get a few more customers, I'll go back and build the marketing website. Once I get a few more customers after that, you know, maybe I'll start integrating some more long form content and those kinds of things. So those are the kinds of things that I'm I'm kind of working on is, you know, really focusing on profitability over here. But it's it's going really good. I'm really excited. My my goal for this product by the end of this year is to for, to get to 50k in ARR. Not a ton of money, but a lot that can uh, you know a lot of extra money in my pocket that I can do kind of whatever I want every year. <laughs> look, it sounds great, and uh, I'll be rooting for you. Um, so look, thanks for coming along today. It's been a great chat, and we'll put all of the the details of your product, yourself, where to find you in the show notes. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Chris. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks, Jay. Thanks.